Hi, listeners. Rachel here with an exciting announcement. We are holding a summer book club bingo game, and there is a card that you can download, a bunch of prompts for different types of books that you can choose to read to play the game along with us. All the instructions and information on how to sign up are at rachelthompson.co slash book club, where you can get your card. And you'll also be able to enter your card to win prizes throughout the summer months. So that's from May to September. We'll be running this book club bingo. I hope you will sign up and uh, read some cool books and be inspired to do some more writerly reading this summer. So all the information is at rachelthompson.co slash book club. Welcome, Luminous Writers, to the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast. I am your host, author and literary magazine editor, Rachel Thompson. This podcast explores how to write and share your brilliant writing with the world. In each episode, we delve into specifics on how to polish and prepare your writing for publication and the journey from emerging writer to published author. In this episode of the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast, we come to our senses again. We had a second live showcase of writers in the writerly love community. The writers you will hear today all participated in a workshop series I offered last year on the six senses, and then we've done now two showcases. This is the second. The first group of writers who showcased the senses did so back in episode 64, so you can hear that if you'd like to at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 64. And this time we had so much goodness when we did our live call that we'll do this showcase now over two episodes. In this episode, you will hear the first three of six writers discussing and reading their sensory work. So today, it's all about sound, smell, and taste from the second showcase. Listen to learn how these writers shifted their approach to these essential senses and how they're bringing that embodied writing to life. And at the end of our discussion, I will offer prompts on the senses for you to do some starter writing, a little free writing that'll help you hone in and bring more specificity, concrete, felt experience, and clarity to your own writing. When you get to the prompts, you could hit pause and write, or you could download all of the prompts in a PDF in the show notes for this episode. This episode is number 69, so you would go to rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 69. So I'm going to turn right away to Whitney. And just thank you for being here to represent the sense of hearing and listening, which is such a podcast sense as well, too. So that's exciting that we're doing this in podcast form. Can you tell us a little bit what your sense of hearing and listening means to you? I definitely can. So my name is uh, Whitney French. I use she, her pronouns. And I'm calling in from Takaranto, dish with one spoon treaty territory, the original lands of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee. Hero Wendat, Mississauga's The New Credit, and hearing is everything <laughs> for me in a very specific and particular singular ancestral way. I'm a proud daughter of a DJ. So I've been listening and deep listening since in the womb. And this sense is something that I have 
thoroughly, carefully, meticulously, playfully, painfully have been thinking about in my practice. But then, Rachel, when you did this whole Sixth Sense situation, I was like, oh, (laughs) took my listening, writing process to a whole new level. It was such a joy and a treat and also a challenge to not just cling to verbs and languages that are familiar and common, but to really sit and listen so much so that listening is my word of the year. I'm a big dork and every year I have like a word of the year. And so listening is permeating, not just in my writing practice, but just also in my life practice. I love that. I'm with you as being a dork. My word this year is I. (laughs) So we're kind of going through some senses there. I didn't know that about your history in terms of having a parent who's a DJ I'm just wondering what's come up for you lately and what you've been noticing and observing with the sense of sound, sense of hearing. I have been noticing in this time of writing and thinking and processing that sound arrives from so many different angles and also plays with time, if that makes sense. There might be folks in this space who are familiar with like the Doppler effect where there's like a person and then they hear like the ambulance and like the way that like the sound of the ambulance kind of arrives at you. And there's like one wave frequency that moves like in big, long waves. And then also sound vibrations that move like in shorter waves. And it is the same source, but it is arriving to the ear differently. And so I've been thinking a lot of how sound can be kind of like a time portal. And that's really trippy, but also a lot of fun for somebody who's writing in genre. One thing I was exploring a bit more about the senses preparing for this, and I was reading that we tend to hallucinate sounds more often than other senses, that we have auditory illusions. And the example that I found too is like, you know, those creaks in the night that become a little bit more sinister. Do you have a memory of thinking a sound was something that it was not, or even a recent experience like that? Many, but the one that comes to mind is, and I'm trying to work this out in a poem as well, is the idea that the rain can sound like applause or vice versa. Someone's applause can sound like rain. And I think I've had that sensation as a young child as well, like especially a heavy rain hitting like flat tarmac or pavement. And it sounds like an applause, but it just, and I don't actually know what that means in terms of meaning making of these like kind of crossover the sensation has a different meaning. But yeah, that was something that it's going to make its way into a poem somehow. Wait and see. The hallucination, I didn't know that fact until you mentioned it earlier. And I think maybe it's just because sound, for me anyways, is not just what you hear, but it's like also the vibration of the thing. I've been thinking a lot about sound vibrations and hitting your body in a particular way. Yeah, I don't really have much more other than that, but... (laughs) Still musing, thinking about it. I love thinking of a group there, like a supportive group applauding in the water somehow in the rain. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about the series that we did. And thank you for saying that. And uh, I mean, part of why we're doing the series too is because of, I have had that feedback from a lot of writers that it really changed something for them in their writing. And that's one of the things I want to showcase here is just how getting really intentional about the senses can do that. So I guess I'm wondering sort of how things have changed for you. How does the way that you work with the senses now, and particularly the sense of sound, differ from maybe how you did it earlier? Because you also mentioned you were deliberate about that before too. Yeah, I was deliberate about that. I'm working on a novel in verse where my main character 
experiences the world through sound first, or that is like the way that she navigates through space. So I have been very deliberate about it. But after this workshop, what I really started to think about was less capturing sound and more embodying sound, if that makes sense. In my writing practice, I would say, you know, use similes, right? This sounds like that, or this sounds like that versus what is actually the experience that I'm feeling or my character is feeling, or maybe a number and into community of people. There's a moment in the work where a community of people are all experiencing the same sound at the same time. And that sound doesn't necessarily always have like positive or like friendly or <laughs> pleasant experiences that accompany it. And so something even as simple as glass smashing and we folks who are hearing folks know the familiarity of that sound but then how do we go even deeper like sound of like glass smashing from a distance far away crunching like really kind of sitting with that sense and not just using that kind of like shorthand broken glass everywhere (laughs) moving beyond that (laughs) seeing my full dork I feel like the workshop really also allowed me to experience like automatopoeic sounds and invited me to be a bit silly to get me closer to conveying to the reader how important and what the sound actually does for the narrative. All right. I'm going to invite you to read from that. So let us hear it. Let us hear some of these changes that you had in your writing, please. It's a quite short piece and it's directly from the exercise. In the exercise, just a little preface, Rachel, you ask us to think of a word that we are obsessed with and to repeat it over and over again. So I will do just that. Lilt, 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 lilt. Definition. Something that's at the end. A notable hiss. It resounds as it falls announcing its plunge. It, a tiny, gentle sway that escapes my tongue with a small force of air from my lungs, a cooperative sound, the top of my mouth to participates. Lilt. Thank you. Delicious. Yeah. People who are here are applauding. (laughs) I see. So I just want to make sure you get some of that appreciation for your work. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm so excited to hear your senses. Yeah. And I, I guess a final question would just be reading your own piece in thinking about the writing. What are you noticing about the senses and the sense of hearing as you read? This morning I was working on a scene. It was a break in scene or a ramsack scene. And it was really useful to think through all of the sounds that are occurring. And even if it's excessive, (laughs) a bit of like an audio overload, what I am realizing in my writing is like the excess of the thing. I have so much space and so much choice to select and choose from. And then also associating that sound with a deeper emotion. I realized that the sound that resonated in that scene was somebody's strangled breath. And right away, I'm like, that is the sound that I am going to sit with because it's deeply important to the emotional beat of the work. So yeah, this whole experience has reminded me there's so much sound. There's a soundscape and also silences. 
and just I'd rather work with the excess and the abundance than be like, this sounds like that and then move on to the next action. So, so much gratitude. And I'm excited for the sound exploration. (laughs) I love that excess and the abundance. Thank you. Thank you. I'm interrupting this showcase to invite you to hone your craft, build your writing platform, and connect with other luminous creative writers in the Writerly Love community. This is my warm, inclusive, and supportive membership community for creative writers to get together, learn about everything from writing craft and getting published to building a platform and sustaining yourself as a writer. It is a place to grow a luminous writing career with a community of brilliant peers, including all three of the guests in this episode of the podcast who are sharing their brilliant work. If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join the Writerly Love membership community. Registration is open year-round now, and I offer a sliding scale pricing model to make it as accessible to as many writers as possible. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. All right, so I'm going to turn next to Cicely Bell, who's going to talk to us about the sense of smell. Welcome to the stage here, Cicely. Hi, I'm Cicely Bell. My pronouns are they, them. I'm joining you from the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, Shemanis, Kwantlen, Kikite, and Stalo First Nations, which is South Burnaby in BC. Thank you so much for being here to represent the sense of smell. That strong memory sense is how I always think of it. I just want to start by asking you what the sense means to you and even things that have come up that maybe you've been observing about the sense recently. I mean, yeah, exactly. As you said, I think smell is one of the strongest senses in terms of recalling memory and because I'm the kind of person that intellectualizes everything, I had to do a little bit more research on that. And I was really interested to see if that was like a myth or if that was true. And it is true. And I read this really interesting study from the American Journal of Psychology that, you know, specifically talked about the experience of living through the pandemic and how so many people lost their smell as a symptom of COVID and their sense of smell as a symptom. And there's early research that that impacted people's ability to remember specific events as well. And I think when we also, you know, add just the general grief and chaos and trauma of the pandemic, that impacts people's memories a lot. But I can imagine that those who lost smell either temporarily or permanently from COVID also lost the ability to recall specific events. And one of the researchers, Dr. Pamela Dalton, describes odor as the backdrop or context for a person, place, or emotional state. So it's not necessarily that we would recall something specific, but something more emotionally evocative, which I think lends so well to poetry. So I was really excited to think more about smell and its impact. I love that idea of you're losing the smell and not just the smell itself, but the ability to kind of create those deeper emotional memories. Wow. My next question is about the before and after story, I guess, in terms of your sense of smell, like now that maybe that you've done that research too, and how have you thought about it before in your writing? And particularly, I mean, if you want to talk about your book as well too, Burning Sugar, or other work from before, and then the after now, like sort of how you're exploring the senses and smell in particular. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, my book is actually named after a smell. The poem in the book North Carolina was about a time I attended a Black leadership and organizing retreat in North Carolina, and it was on the site of a former slave plantation. 
And so I wrote about how I imagined the smell of burning sugar under the hot sun and those experiences that, you know, really sort of shaped the foundation of North America in a sense. So yeah, smell has been something that I think on one hand, I see it as a very like accessible tool for poetry. It's easier to tap into, I think, because of that evocative scent. I think especially with the piece that I wrote for today and like, yeah, since receiving these great prompts from you, I've tried to think more about how can I push the boundaries of that and think not just about smells that might be pleasant or like sweet or floral, but also how like more pungent or negative smells or smells we don't like can also influence our work as well. So I've tried to play around with that too. Love for you to read what you brought us today. So it's called The Landline. The landline sits on the telephone table in the hallway, full of ghosts in the house full of a thousand memories. The table shoulders the world's last phone book. Below that, some polished leather court shoes are tucked neatly between the carved table legs. In the silence, one can do nothing but breathe in their collective obsolescence. The gentle charring of plastic from the wires too close to the radiator. The subtle woodiness of pencil shavings. The elusive smell of cold as an ageless draft seeps through the front door. And the mustiness of the brown rings left by the reliable rhythm of cup after cup after cup of milky tea. Somehow, together, under the slowly building gossamer, the mangled marriage of scents transports me on the bus, then the tube, then several streets by foot to a museum. Inside, it's 1939 and smells like the trenches. It doesn't make sense that a piece of useless mid-2000s furniture could remind me of a bygone war. As I put down the receiver for the last time, slip the court shoes on for one final twirl, and attempt to rip the phone book down the middle, I realize these are relics of my childhood. And the war? That was a relic of hers. Thank you. I'm struck just how much the senses really evoke a place. Like I really was in that room and you explored so many of the senses as well. Thank you for that. Would love to know what you're thinking about in terms of reading that work, preparing, but also what you're noticing in terms of the sense of smell in other writings. Yeah, I think as I mentioned, it's kind of like a sort of an accessible entryway into diving deeper into emotions and memory, I think, came to poetry and writing in a more sort of traditional sense and part of my personal process and what I really appreciate when I'm reading other writers' work. I've found that I really enjoy poetry that's unconventional and more sort of gritty and raw and maybe is describing like an urban environment or, in fact, it's not even poetry, but the book, The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. It's this very bizarre, sort of fascinating story about people becoming a city and a city becoming people and like the merging of that and just the kind of grittiness in which she describes the urban environment. And she uses a lot of senses and particularly smells, but yet yeah, not nice ones, like smells of like alleyways and trash cans and those things. And that's been a really interesting thing to see and to realize what excites me more as I try to be more experimental in my own work and less sort of traditional. I mean, I think there's nothing wrong, obviously, with writing about like the more traditional things, especially when I read that quote from that psychologist about Oda being a backdrop. I thought about a poem that I wrote when I was like, I think 14 or 15. And I was thinking about my childhood 
home and I described honeysuckle as the wallpaper to my childhood. And so just thinking about it as like a backdrop is really powerful as well. So yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of play around with that and sort of see how I'm drawn in by other writers' work as well. Yeah, I love that honeysuckle wallpaper. Wow. <laughs> you started early. That's great. I had this question here, and maybe we did put it in front of them too, but it's the idea of being a sensitive writer in relation to the senses. Did you have anything else that you wanted to say in relation to that? Like, what does it mean to be a sensitive writer in relation to the senses? What came to mind for me was how it's so subjective and so unique to everybody's experience. Like, I don't know if I have something wrong with my sense of smell and taste, but I often say, oh, this really tastes like something. And somebody's like, what are you talking about? I don't say anything like that. I went to like a cider tasting and I said, this cider really tastes like butter. And the woman who made it was really offended that I guess it wasn't supposed to taste like that. But to me, it really tasted like butter. Sorry, I'm stealing the taste sense there. But yeah, I just was like, it's so subjective and you can't tell me I'm wrong. If that's what it tastes like to me, that's what it tastes like to me. And I think to answer the question about being a sensitive writer, it's a great way for us to unlearn and uncondition ourselves to like, you know, try to do what we're supposed to do or like behave like someone else, or it's a good way to find your own style and like find your own entry point into writing. I think especially poetry is to think about that as like, a landing place or a starting place. And then it can springboard into so many other things. If all of us were at the cidery together, we would go in so many different directions, but even if we were at the same place. I love that. And I also love how you mentioned the sense of taste too, because of course, smell and taste are very, they overlap in so many different ways. And our next sense is the sense of taste. So I want to welcome Sarah Munn up to talk about your sense today and introduce yourself as well. Thank you so much for having me. And I just want to say that Whitney and Cicely, you've been amazing. This is wonderful to listen to. So just thank you everybody for being here today because this is fantastic. My name is Sarah Munn. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm reporting from Toronto on the traditional lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabe, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendakis. I want to jump right into the sense of taste. I happen to know because I've been reading a lot of your writing too, that you have family members who are in fact chefs, trained chefs. And so you grew up around a lot of taste. Can you tell us a bit more about what the sense of taste means to you and even what's come up for you lately when it comes to the sense of taste? Sure. You brought up my family. So that's exactly where I draw meaning when it comes to taste. My parents are both chefs and they have really diverse palates. They like trying new things. They always try to cook things from different cultures and figure out ingredients. And they're very open-minded through their palates. So, you know, they always encouraged me as a child to try new foods. And so for me, taste is, it's really strongly connected to family. It has a lot of meaning for me. It's connected to culture, to memory, and being someone who really enjoys food, it's also very connected to pleasure. And I think all of the senses are connected to pleasure, but for some reason, taste feels a little bit more so sometimes. So yeah, for me, there's there's a lot of layers to it. Now, I asked you to think about something that you tasted recently that you enjoyed and and maybe that you didn't enjoy as well too. So can you share both of those with us? The one that I enjoyed recently was a couple of months ago at a really authentic French bakery here downtown on Queen Street. 
where I tried a lemon eclair. I don't eat a lot of eclairs. Lemon is also not even a go-to flavor that I always pick, but I chose that one and it was the most pure lemon flavor I could ever experience. It was sweet and tart, but not too much of either. And it it just like perfectly captured lemon essence. And I was really blown away by it. And then the thing that I tasted recently that I didn't like so much was actually just this past weekend. I was at a mall and I ordered my go-to bubble tea or boba. I'm sure we have some people on the call that love that too. What got my go-to order and it was a banana coconut slush with tapioca pearls and it was made with too much ice. So it tasted really, really watery and it was just a big disappointment, which is like a very simple thing. It's just a drink, you know, a snack drink, but because it was a flavor that I know very well, it's my go-to. I had an expectation in my head of what I was going to taste and it immediately tasted wrong. So yeah, it was definitely a taste disappointment. <laughs> so now I want to turn to your writing and talk about kind of your journey with writing with taste. I mean, you started in a very taste aware place. That's sort of something that you experienced environmentally early on. How has that changed in your writing maybe recently or even just over the long arc of your writing career? Being asked to do this call is what made me think about it a lot. And it's funny because you say that I started in a taste aware place and I did, but looking at the history of my writing, even though there's usually a culinary thread, I noticed that I sometimes don't describe the taste of the food. I would describe maybe the smell of something cooking or what it looked like or name a lot of ingredients and dishes. But I noticed that I didn't always describe taste as much as I could. So yeah, you know, trying to look at my work critically, I was like, okay, that's kind of strange when it's food is such a taste oriented thing. So That's something that I've realized about my writing. And I've been thinking a lot about trying to make the food in my writing a character in itself. So I really want to try to dive in more into taste and describing things really well and trying to nail that and get it as authentic as possible, because I think that can be really powerful. Will you share the writing that you brought us today related to the sense? Sure. So I'm reading an excerpt from a short story that I've been working on that I've actually been workshopping with people in this community. Candace is on the call and I've been workshopping in a group with her. So it's a short story called The Chef's Wife. It's a new scene that I worked on with this call in mind and with taste in mind. My favorite meal that Luke ever made for me was also the simplest. Fresh baguette purchased from the French bakery down the street, warmed in the oven to fragrant, nutty perfection. Goat's cheese, tangy, creamy, and soft at room temperature. Olive oil, the good stuff, bitter liquid gold. And garlic jam, a heavenly creation I hadn't known existed. Garlic, sugar, water, salt, pepper. The easiest recipe that when simmered slowly yields a sticky, sweet, savory mixture I could spread on everything. As the flavors caressed my tongue, I closed my eyes, oil on my lips, the chew of good bread between my teeth. Sweet, salty, creamy, all my taste buds alive and dancing. Yes, I can taste that. (laughs) So I'm seeing notes on the olive oil, the good stuff and the chew of good bread. Yes. So just reading that piece and thinking about other writing you've read, what do you notice about the senses and the sense of taste when you're reading? Because I enjoy food and taste is so meaningful, I will always notice food and taste descriptions when I'm reading. And I 
really, really appreciate when those descriptions feel authentic to life. Sometimes I feel like I've read taste descriptions that can seem very abstract or very high concept. And there is a place for that, but sometimes I find that hard to relate to. So I really like when people write something that just describes how something tastes, how it smells, how it feels in your mouth, the memory that it triggers in a character, for example, if it's fiction. Erica Baumeister, she's one of my favorite writers, and she does that really well in her book, The School of Essential Ingredients. But sometimes I also think that even just mentioning foods in a very simple way in our writing can be powerful. And it adds a lot of authenticity because so much about food is about life and about what we experience. And, you know, everybody eats, everybody has cultural foods, everybody has some kind of connection to food, and it can be good and bad. But Sometimes that gets left out of writing that I've read. So for example, the book I'm reading right now is Black Cake by Shermaine Wilkerson, which is, you know, it's got food in the title, of course. And she has some lovely descriptions, but she also has places in the book where it's just the mention of a dish. So, you know, she'll mention oxtail and rice and peas. And for me, I have Caribbean heritage. So for me, when I read that, I immediately connect with it, even though she didn't describe how it tastes or how it smells, she just mentioned it. So that's just something I've been noticing where even just the mention on a simple level can be powerful in writing. So I think there's obviously room for both simple mentioning and then going into beautiful detailed descriptions, but I think both are powerful and I kind of want to see more of it in my own work and in what I read. I love when food is part of the story. I love books that make me hungry. And that's what happens when I read (laughs) those books that mention foods. I'll put to you to the question about what does it mean to be a sensitive writer in relation to the senses as our last question. I kind of take that question two ways. On one hand, I kind of take it very literally. I think of myself as an empath. So for me, being a sensitive writer is literally being sensitive and being aware of what we feel and trying to put that into our work. But I also think on the other hand, it's trying to be mindful. I think it connects to mindfulness. And I think it's about tapping into all the senses that we're talking about today and trying to notice them in our own lives, you know, noticing what we see and feel and hear and touch and taste, and then trying to capture that in our writing. I know we talk a lot about mindfulness in this community, and I think that's kind of the way in to all of the senses and to being a sensitive writer. It's trying to be aware of those things and then capture them in the writing because I think all of these senses we're talking about are what make our writing real and relatable. It it kind of really makes it sing and it's what people will connect to, I think. So if we can try to tap into those and put them all into our writing, I think that's where you can create work that people really connect to. Thank you so much. It's all about connection. Anything that comes back to connection is, (laughs) is important, I think, when it comes to our writing. Thank you so much, Sarah. Definitely. Thank you. The Writerly Love community is my warm and supportive membership community for creative writers to get together, learn about everything from writing craft and getting published to building a platform and sustaining yourself as a writer. If you're ready to learn and grow, I'd love to have you join us. You can learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash join. Let's connect these ideas with your own writing, shall we? I will now offer three prompts related to the three senses for you to write. You might just listen and then go about your day and think about the prompts until an idea germinates and is ready to be expressed. Or you might hit pause after each prompt and set a timer to write 
and do that until you're ready to unpause and go on to the next prompt. Or you could download all of the prompts up at rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 69. So here is your sense of hearing writing prompt called semantic satiation. And this is the prompt that Whitney French mentioned and used for the writing that she read in the episode. So you would start by writing a list of your favorite words today. All of your favorite words today, words that are resonating with you, write a list of them and then pick one word from that list and write it over and over And you can say it out loud if you can where you are, if you're in a space where that's okay to do. Just say the word aloud each time you're writing it over and over. You would do that for probably a page if you're working in a notebook or a minute if you're doing it by timer. Then you would write a new definition of the word and continue writing about what it means to you. You could set a timer for yourself and then commit to keeping your pen on the page for the full time. I definitely suggest at least 10 minutes if you've got it. So that's the prompt, semantic satiation. The sense of smell writing prompt is called scent of an emotion. So here you start again with a list. So you write a list of all the emotions you experienced in the past week, good, bad, neutral, You could also add all of the emotions you witnessed in the past week. For me, this was a lot if you count the expressed emotions of my kids and the repressed emotions of adults. So you could let this list be long. Just write all the emotions that you recognize from your week. And for each emotion, write about the smells that might evoke that emotion. What is the scent of anger, the scent of joy, the scent of frustration? Once you have filled in those scents, write a scene or snippet where someone experiences one or more of those emotions, but do not name the emotion in the text. So use the sense to show that emotion. So that is your scent of an emotion, sense of smell writing prompt. Now, the next prompt is sense of taste writing prompt, and this is called taste and character. So you write a list of people you have prepared a beverage for, a beverage of any kind, cocktails, tea. If the list is short, you could add people who also prepared a beverage for you. Just using that prompt, the idea of a sharing uh, taste together. And then for each of the people on your list, you could write as many sentences as you can in the following construction, which I will, as an aside, mention this construction comes via the excellent Matthew Celeste's book, craft in the real world and is someone who's great at character writing and a great teacher of character. So we take this list of people we've prepared a beverage for, and then for each of them, we would insert their name. So you'd say that this person's name was the type of person who blank, and you fill in that blank. Here is an example. So one is Emmy was the type of person who went out for coffee frequently, but disliked the taste of caffeine can be as simple as that. It can be as complex as you'd like, but it's like, this is the type of person who blank. I'll also mention too that, you know, if you're writing primarily nonfiction, let yourself go fiction on this and just, you know, invent different ideas about the person. It doesn't have to be too factual. And then you would choose one of the sentences to build upon. So whichever one is giving you the most energy and use it to describe a scene, image, event, that shows why they are the type of person who blank. You would evoke the senses in this, and in particular flavors, 
but all senses in this scene or snippet. And I definitely encourage you to use all the senses in all of your writing. That was your sense of taste writing prompt, taste and character. And those were the three writing prompts that are companions to this episode where we discussed the sense of hearing, the sense of smell, and the sense of taste. Stay tuned because we will have three more senses in an upcoming episode. And I'm just so grateful to Whitney French, Cecily Bell, and Sarah Munn for talking about the senses and reading their brilliant words on the senses. You can learn more about each of the writers, including all the books and resources mentioned, including Cicely's book, Burning Sugar, by going to the show notes for this episode. Again, episode 69, rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 69. These writers are all members in our writerly love community, and I'm so grateful to have them connected with us all. And they all took part in the Six Senses workshop I offered last year, which was a springboard for some beautiful words, if I may say so. It's inspired now these two showcases already and lots of writing and lots of publishing experiences as well, too. So I've been truly touched, uh, (laughs) no pun intended, about the sense of touch, but I have been truly touched by how effective that series was for many writers. And by the way, I will be offering another guided writing workshop series in May, so you could stay tuned here or sign up for my writerly love letters to stay updated. Those are found at rachelthompson.co slash letters. In our showcase, I loved, loved, loved all the writing, and I hope you loved it too. And one thing I appreciated so much was when Cicely mentioned the impact the pandemic had on the sense of smell. In our next episode on this theme, we'll hear also about the sense of touch through this experience of pandemic-related loss. And the next episode with the sense of touch, sight, and the sixth sense will be out in podcast format in episode 71. So you can look for that two weeks from now. And the reason being is we've earmarked episode 70. Next week, I'm going to release episode 70. I can't believe it is 70, even though there have been sporadic periods of releasing this podcast and going on hiatus. I'm still amazed that we've gone to 70 episodes. And in honor of this auspiciously numbered episode, I'm going to include a state of the community overview for that episode. So this will be a bit of a behind the scenes about what we're up to. And I'll be joined by our community facilitator and my podcast co-producer, Melly Walker. We'll talk about what we're noticing in our broader writing community and what is to come. So I feel like this is an unmissable one for those of you who want to be in writing community with us. This will be inclusive of the broader Write, Publish, and Shine listenership, i.e. you, Luminous Writers, who are listening, and we'll also talk about the course and membership community that I host. So I hope you'll stay subscribed to hear that episode, episode 70, where we'll also give more tips on how to join our craft book club, and that's out next week. If you want to right now, after being inspired by what you heard today, download the three sensory prompts I offer in this episode in a PDF. They are in the show notes. This is episode 69 again, so you would go to rachelthompson.co slash podcast slash 69. The Write, Publish, and Shine podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Thompson, and my co-producer for this episode is the wonderful Millie Walker. Sound editing is done by Adam Linder of Bespoken Podcasting. You can learn more about the work I do to help writers write, publish, and shine at rachelthompson.co. When you're there, sign up for my writerly love letters. They're sent every other week, sometimes more often, and they're filled with support for your writing practice. 
If this episode encouraged you to hear applause in the rain, remember a smell from your grandmother, or get hungry for food in your writing, I would love to hear all about it. You can reach me at hello at rachelthompson.co. And please tell other luminous writers about this episode. You can do this by sending them to the podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast or searching for Write, Publish, and Shine wherever they get their podcasts. Please do this. You can do it now. Just send a message and say, hey, want to hear some thoughts and beautiful writing about the senses? Plus get some thoughtful and generative prompts, writer friend. Check out the Write, Publish, and Shine podcast at rachelthompson.co slash podcast. Thank you for listening. I encourage you to stay sensitive and write your most luminous work. As you heard in the episode, each writer introduced themselves with the names of the Indigenous communities that historically and presently call the lands that they spoke to us from. And I am a guest in the South Sinai, Egypt, on the lands of the El Muzina Bedouin. Join our game of book club bingo this summer. Learn more and sign up at rachelthompson.co slash book club.